live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. With all due respect, I reject your theory completely. But you know what? There needs to be some backlash to this. This would be disastrous. There really has to be a better way. And I think the biggest question here is, what the hell is going on? The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. Move for president. Get in the race. Will he run? And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Wagner lists program, as it were. 1209. Scott Warris sitting in for the vacationing. Mr. Wagner once again here today. We'll be doing so into next week as well. And you can get involved, as always, at 414-799-1620. That, of course, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and or text line. Many of you do it both. You can do one. You can do the other. You can email in. That's another way to get involved. Scott.Warris at WTMJ.com. Scott.Warris, W-A-R-R-A-S, at WTMJ.com. If you'd like to follow me, you're welcome to do so. Just uh, kind of back off after nightfall because it can get a little awkward after that. Kyle is in for Gru. Gru and Jeff vacationing together. That, again, speaks to the real relationship they have on and off the air. Um, so Kyle will take your calls. I don't have a Packers expert. I mean, I know that the morning show had Wayne and uh, did they have, I know, I think Tauscher's coming on with uh, the afternoon guys. Doug Russell was on with Scafidi. I don't have a Packers expert per se, so I will just simply say this. I think it was, that was enjoyable last night, but everybody just kind of be realistic. It just, just kind of pump the brakes a little bit. There's, you don't know anything about a team after one week. Was that encouraging? Absolutely. Will the offense get better? I think that would be a fair assessment. I think that's a fair comment to make. The defense was impressive. they got to back it up. So enjoy this. It was over the Bears, which makes it a little extra special. A road win in the division is nice. It's great. But let's just all kind of just cautious optimism as we move forward. That would be my advice. Um, And I'm not an expert football analyst by any stretch of the imagination i will say this speaking of football experts and football pundits and the talking heads and things like that i have a little treat i have a little treat coming up in the two o'clock hour i think we'll wrap it into great scott which we'll do after two o'clock one of my favorite pastimes after a packers bears game is to whether it's that night or the morning after, spend a little time, just a little time, sampling some of the sports talk radio from the neighbors to our south. And that was quite enjoyable last night and this morning as well. And um, I was able to find a little gem. They never let us down. They never let us down in that market. So I'll bring a little bit of that back after 2 o'clock. Also after 2 o'clock, it's a Friday and Jeff Wagner, usually 235, the Pop Culture Corner. I will reserve that feature for Jeff. I don't want to intrude on his domain in that respect. I think he has a copyright infringement that could be you know, in, in play there. So I'm not going to go down the Pop Culture Corner, uh, corner path. But what I do want to do... And we'll do this at 2.35 maybe is um, we'll have a little, we'll just call it some Friday fun. 
working title, generic title, Friday Fun After 2.30, in place of the Pop Culture Corner, which, with, which will be back when Jeff gets back. There's a couple things that I... There's one thing I didn't get to yesterday, and I just... We are coming up on the sentencing for a number of the parents and individuals, the coaches and others that were involved in the college admissions scandal. Varsity Blues, the case. That's the way the FBI called it. That was their code name for the investigation. And there are obviously some familiar names, some high-profile individuals, and I am personally having a hard time trying to decide for myself what would be an acceptable punishment. What type of punishment could and should be levied on some of these parents specifically that would make me, as a citizen of this country, I was not impacted by the college admission scandal any which way, but, you know, oftentimes when you see somebody on trial, whether it's it goes all the way to a, to a, you know, to a jury, whether it's a plea deal, whatever the case may be, whenever you learn about the verdict, I'm sorry, whenever you learn about the sentence, the sentence that's levied by the jury or by the judge, you always, in a moment, kind of say, you know what? That's an appropriate punishment. That's an appropriate penalty for the crime, for the individual that committed whatever the heck they were convicted of committing or, you know, whatever they, they pled to. Well, where do you come down on this college admission scandal? Like I said, I'm having a tough time trying to say, well, you know what, Felicity Huffman, for example, and and it's Felicity Huffman, the actress, who is, uh, as USA Today (laughs) described, Huffman is going to kick off the sentencing of the parents in the college admissions case. And there is a debate and, and there's discussion now as to Will the judge in this case, because Felicity Huffman, the actress, is the first to get a punishment, to get a penalty, is the judge going to send a message? Is this going to be something whereby, whoa, we step back and we say, all right, clearly a <laughs> firing a shot across the bow when it comes to Huffman and uh, potential punishment? When we come back, and I, I'm going to open up the phones here because I think if you are a parent and you have maybe a son or a daughter who are in college or coming up on college, and even if you're not, you may feel differently than if you are a single guy or a single gal without any real connection, even hypothetically, to the Varsity Blues college admission scandal. So here's my question. If you were the judge in the college admission scandal... What penalty, what punishment, how harsh a sentence would you levy on, for example, Felicity Huffman or, or, or any of the parents involved, the lesser famous parents? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm willing to bet that for some of you who maybe have gone through this college admissions process with your son or daughter recently, might feel a little bit more impassioned about it than others. Maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. But moms and dads of the world out there, how would you come down on this? 
How would you punish these parents? I mean, is, is, is jail time, is that something that will make you feel as if justice was, was served? Is it hit them in the wallet, hit them in their bank account? For some of these actors and actresses, for some of these high-profile parents, maybe hitting them in the bank account will hurt them more than sitting in a jail cell for, you know, six months, ten months, whatever it might be. Maybe that's how you get to them. Maybe the fact, maybe you say neither. Maybe the fine is 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 inconsequential and just simply they are going to be blackballed from the industry. Maybe they are simply going to have suffered the PR hit and that for celebrities is everything. So I'm just curious. 414-799-1620, the Acunin Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are the judge handing down the sentences, which are soon to come here in the college admissions scandal, how harsh or how creative would you be in your sentencing of these? And I'm thinking specifically parents. I don't want to so much talk about the coaches who are facing legal woes or Rick Singer, the mastermind. But the parents, the moms and dads behind it. 414-799-1620. We'll continue with you next. Scott Morris in for Jeff Wagner on this Friday. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 1221. Yes, indeed. You made it to the end of the week. One of the best things of last night is that now Packers fans get... About a week and a half to enjoy this win. You know, you can kind of enjoy this through because they won't play again until a week from this Sunday. So that helps a little bit. Anyway, we're discussing here the sentencing, specifically for the parents involved in the college admissions scandal. Uh, Felicity Huffman is drawing some headlines this week because it looks like she'll be the first to find out her fate. And the debate being waged in some circles is, is this judge going to send a message? Um, Huffman, remember, she, she did strike a plea deal, okay? And at the time of her plea, prosecutors recommended four months in prison for the actress, which is lower than, what do you think the maximum was? 20 years. <laughs> 20 years in prison. So they recommended four months for her, much lower than the max. They also recommended 12 months of supervised release, a $20,000 fine, and other undetermined amounts of restitution and forfeiture. Hmm. We'll see. These sentences are soon to come down here in the next couple of days. Okay, so I I guess I'm just asking, because I I don't know my own answer to this question. I I don't know how harsh a penalty would have to be for these parents for me to then feel like justice was served. And I feel good about what society is doing to punish these people. To Glendale and Gina. Good afternoon, Gina. Hi there. How are you? I'm pretty good. How if Judge Gina, which by the way sounds like a great name for a you know a, a, an afternoon show, if 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 go. Judge Gina was levying the sentences against these parents, how harsh would you be? Um. I don't know about the jail time. I don't really have an answer for that, but I do think that the financial 
should be significant. They should be fined exorbitantly. And I think that it would be great then if they could pool all that money and have some sort of scholarship that goes towards kids that are trying to get into college that maybe can't afford it and, you know, really put the money to where people were being taken advantage of here. Mm -hmm. You know, because those people are so insulated. They don't even think about, you know, the kids that are just scraping by, just trying to, you know, do well in high school and maybe don't even have money to do the the tests and um, the admissions forms for getting into college. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so taken for granted. And and I think maybe instead of jail time, maybe some significant hours of community service where these people really have to get down and dirty and really have to see where they were taking opportunity away from from people. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm I'm with you, Gina, when it comes to being a little bit skeptical or or iffy on the jail question. I don't know that if I learn, hey, Felicity Huffman is behind bars. All right, we got her. The desperate housewife yeah. is in prison. I feel better now. This this is justice. I don't know that I feel that way. But no. like you said, if you can take some. Hit him in that bank account. I'd say pocketbook, yeah. but nobody carries pocketbooks. Uh, yeah. hit, hit, hit her in her bank account. She's got plenty. And yeah. then take that money. Make sure that money in some way, shape, or form is. And I don't know. I don't know that you could ever funnel it to students who lost out because of this. I don't know if you can be so specific as to say well, that was a person that would have gotten into school yeah. if not for Felicity Huffman. But in some yeah. way, shape, or form, take that money and maybe with some combination of community service put it towards put it towards some sort of you know organization helping young people college something like that right yeah yeah I'm, yeah absolutely i'm with yeah. you on that thanks judge gina weighing in judge gina uh will in east troy uh texting in something very similar rather than sit in a jail these parents who obviously have the money you better believe it should be ordered to donate a specified amount to the school uh, who would then in turn create a scholarship, oh, there we go, for those who can't afford these schools. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Jail time. Uh, jail time. Okay. So from the 414 here. Six months to a year and then large fines and community service. But they have to serve the time. Students need to be removed from the college and have to be retested and apply for the college of their choice. The judge would nail any other person, but just because these are celebrities, they should not get off. Hmm. 414-799-1620. We'll continue this a moment longer. How would you punish the parents that were behind the college admission scandal? Now, keep in mind, in just about every case, and I, I don't know if there was a case whereby their son or daughter was involved. Usually, this was all done behind their son or daughter's back. So how much do you punish? Do you pull the kid out of school now that they're enrolled? Hmm. I got to think about that one. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. No, it's not. Ah! Jeff is off. I'm Scott. Bill in Burlington on the text line regarding the college scandals. If the average person like me, Bill, like like Bill, would have to serve jail time, why not the elite? 
If not, it just goes to show that the wealthy take care of their own. All right, I can definitely see that too, Bill. Uh, let's see, Mitch and Sturgeon Bay. I would not allow any college that participated in these bribes to receive any of the fine scholarship money you suggested. They are just as guilty. Hmm. Andy Waukesha, hit them in the pocketbook. There we go, the pocketbook again. Over one million, over one million dollars. Wow. And order them to 100 or more hours of community service in an educational capacity like literacy, etc. They that that they must do along with their child. Do you punish the child though? Should the children should the children involved in this college admission scandal, those who got admitted wrongfully, should they if should they be punished in this? Let's take that one up after the news. 414-799-1620. That's a different angle that I wasn't... Okay, so we've talked parents, because remember, a lot of these kids had no idea what their parents were doing. Felicity Huffman's kid. Lori, is it Lori Laughlin or Lachlan? What are we uh, going it with It is Lachlan. Lachlan. Mm-hmm. Lachlan. It looks like Lachlan. Not Laughlin, but... like Laughlin, Nevada. Lachlan, okay. Lachlan. The Lachlan girl... He had no idea what her mom, no idea. And this is the case for, if not all, I, I, I don't know that it was the case for all. So I'll say almost all of them. The, the kids had no idea what mom and dad were doing behind their back. They just thought, hey, I got into USC. So do you punish the kids? All right, we'll just we'll spend a couple seconds on that when we come back. A little different angle to the college admission scandal, because we're coming uh, to a head here when it comes to the punishments, the the. Um, the sentencing phase of this is right around the corner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's the one thing that I can say about the Packers. At least you're not dealing with off-the-field drama like is happening in Oakland right now. There's, yeah, maybe, you know what, it'll be an interesting season. There are, you know, ups and downs and... There's not drama like there are in other markets. Okay. Um, so in talking about the college admission scandal, we spent the last few minutes talking about what type of punishment you think, uh, sentencing-wise, what, what type of punishment you think would be appropriate for the parents. And then we got into the conversation about, well, what about the kids? Because some of you said that the kids who were admitted wrongfully into these universities and colleges should be should be taken out or maybe have them reapply the way everybody has to reapply, go through the proper channels, and if there's a you know entry exam or you know, the essays you write, apply for the apply like everybody else. And if you get in, then well, then you can stay. And if not, then you can't go in. I think that's where I come down on this because I'm interested in the question of well, do you punish these kids? Do you punish the the sons and the daughters of these parents who, in large part, did this behind their back, were not admitted? No. The four, from a, a texter on the 414 does make a good point. If you get a scholarship for the rowing team and you've never rowed in your life before, would you not some, think something is a little bit fishy? Yeah, probably. Like if I was admitted on a basketball scholarship and I, trust me, would not get admitted anywhere on a basketball scholarship, go, hmm, how did that happen? Now, another texter. Uh, the 941, uh, Lori Lachlan's daughter openly stated she wanted to attend college primarily for the partying culture. 
she Instagrams her whole life experience. Yeah, I know she's one of those uh, Insta- Instagram. Uh, that's her job. What is it? Instagram model? No, it's a it's, it's an influencer. That's what it is. She's an Instagram influencer, a social media influencer. That's the job title. That's a great job to have, by the way. And just think, what do you do? I'm a social media influencer, which is what a lot of those Kardashians did. Although I think in some ways the Kardashians took, as much as we like to, you know, roll our eyes, and I can understand why, there's a certain business savvy to what the Kardashians have done over time. And I don't know you can totally just brush it all off as social media influencers, but I digress. Um, Patty from Greenfield, back to the parents for a second. The best way to punish the parents is to take away what they were trying to pay for. Perhaps their child being removed from the university is the best punishment. Otherwise, they're still getting away with what they did illegally, just paying more for it. Okay, so if you kick the kids back out, pull them out of the school, there's the punishment. And Casey in Watertown on the text line, I believe uh, Lori Laughlin's daughter should also be punished. She had a social media appearance of not even giving an effort. Well, but... With school, she knew that was a joke. I believe community service and some jail. Okay. We'll find out. Like I say, these punishments are are right around the corner. We'll see. It's still a... It was... Sometimes with these scandals, whatever the scandal, in whatever the profession, whatever the industry, whatever the walk of life, isn't it amazing... Isn't it amazing how often you sit back and you go, how in the world were they, in this case, Rick Singer, who was the mastermind, how in the world were they able to get to get away with it as long as they did? How in the world did nobody stand up? And, and obviously, eventually they did. They had an insider that allowed the FBI to get involved and the whole thing unraveled, but whether it's this, whether it's a a financial scandal, you know, of a of a company of any size. Think back to was it now five, six, seven years ago, the Koss scandal here in here in the Milwaukee area. What was her name? Sue Sachiva, right? And that had nothing to do with college admissions, I know, but nevertheless, you know, she embezzled all that money and it for for years and years, and you go. How is it that people are able to get away with something like that as long as they are? Because you know for a fact there are people, for example, to the college admissions thing, there are people in the admissions office that are getting the paperwork for these kids. Because not everybody, sometimes the web is limited, if you will. They're getting the paper and they're going, you know what, this doesn't, this doesn't jive with this. This doesn't make sense with that. And yet a lot of these scandals are able to go on and on and on forever and ever and ever. And sometimes it's because there's not enough people willing to, you know, be the whistleblower or to just, you know, speak truth to power, which I understand can be intimidating. One more call, then we'll move on. Let's go to Steve in Kenosha. Hi, Steve. Good afternoon. You're in WTMJ. Yeah, um, I think definitely the kids should be pulled out. Like you said, some of them may have known anyways, but even if they didn't, you know, pulled out of their school. You know how the parents are can be liable for what their kids do, and I think this is a good example for the kids to be liable for what the parents did mm-hmm. to uh, show that making stupid decisions can mess up their kids' lives, and maybe these kids will learn from this for when they're parents. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, two wrongs don't make a right or whatever. I mean, if the kids are not there legally, so to speak, they should be pulled out, whether it's the middle of the school year or hasn't started yet. I mean, that's what I would think. How You know, how would you say, well, that's okay this time, but we'll let you stay. You know, right. that would be my thoughts. Yeah, the, 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 the more we talk this through, Steve, the, the more I'm coming around to how can any punishment be levied on the parent and yet if the child is still allowed to stay enrolled in right. that school how, how can that how can that truly feel like justice served any which way even if they pay a fine spend you know a year six whatever 10 months in, in jail but at the end of it yep. if the kid stays in in school how they is got that what they wanted to accomplish right right so in that case the ends justified the means even if yeah yeah, yeah. thanks steve yeah. i appreciate the call very much it's 12:42 like i say well, we will find out how this all comes to a conclusion here uh in just a couple of days as uh, the justice department continues to work their way with the parents felicity huffman lori Lachlan, and other less famous but still um, rather wealthy parents seeing as we were just taught i guess today's show as I see it now at 12.43, with still a couple of hours to go, I see today's show kind of having that that parental-to-child ch- to relationship family theme. Because so we're going to talk about getting back to school in the 2 o'clock hour, but kind of staying on this theme. <laughs> a remarkable result, I think anyway, but again, we'll see if, if I'm in line with you. A remarkable survey result. That I came across, and I'm like, I, I gotta, I gotta bring this one up, because a third of parents in this country, a third of parents in this country, say, and maybe it's true, say their favorite child is their pet. Hmm. Hmm. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And we are working our way through a Friday, 12.47. Jeff is off. We'll be back in a few days. I'm happy to be with you, Scott Warris, until 3 o'clock. That's when Wisconsin's afternoon news takes over. 414-799-1620, of course, is the Acunet Mortgage Talk. Or if you prefer, text line, scott.warris at wtmj.com, if you prefer email. Kyle, uh, you have... You said you're a cat person, right? You've got a, a couple of cats. Have you always been a cat person, or I I would say that I'm a I'm a pet person. Okay. I would I would have a dog if it would require uh, a lot less work right now. Also, my apartment doesn't allow dogs, uh, so have cats because uh, I don't have to take them anywhere. Uh, they use the bathroom in the house very easy. Yeah, that was always what I'm. I'm not a cat person. We had a dog when we were a kid. Uh, when I was a kid at, at home, we had a dog. I, I haven't had a pet since then. Um, that is the thing that always struck me about cats is the fact that, yes, they are low maintenance. And one of the reasons they're low maintenance is because they, you know, you, they go to the bathroom in the house, which I was always very, well, yeah, but yeah. Mm, anyway. All right. So I'll put you down for a cat slash overall pet person. The survey. So I guess I'm soliciting pet people to call in, and I realize I'm treading on some very sensitive ice, put it that way, thin ice maybe even, because I am not, I'm not anti-pet, I'm not anti-animal, I'm just not, 
and again, it's probably because I haven't had one since a kid and I don't own one and things like that. I'm not, I'm not anti-pet. I'm going to set that out there right out of the gate. However, um, I do sometimes bristle, admittedly, when people will kind of equate pets with humans. When they reference, and I know I'm, I've got to be careful here because I, I don't want to tick anybody off, and I probably will anyway. Referencing your, pat, your pet as, as in a way that you would a son or a daughter. In that, okay, I have to ask you these questions because I'm not a pet owner. Back to Kyle. Do you feel that you are dad to your cats? Are you dad, daddy? Hey, little, what are the fluffy, fluffy daddy's home? Do you say that when you come back home to the apartment? Be honest. Be honest. It's more of a owner. It's it, there's there there isn't a. It, be honest. <laughs> just be. No, you can, you well, can say it. I don't look at it myself as like the the dad, as the cat daddy. Right. Okay, but but so many people do, and I I forget where I was the other day, and and I was among somebody who said, you know, oh yes, this you know these are my kids. It's more like a I'm roommate, on. like a peer situation for me. I think. I I, th- I think I think Kaylee would say something completely different. What she, would she say? Oh, she's the the matriarch. Like they they are the children. She's mom. Yeah, un- until we I don't know until we get like a dog that's that that requires more attention, more whatever. Is that odd at all to you? That she no be, no no. Well, okay. So here's this. Here's what I'm getting at. Why, why are we talking about this? And because. First of all, that that is always something floating around in my mind. How because even when we had a like I'm trying to think back now. Granted, I was a kid. Even when we had our dog, our Schnauzer, as a kid, I and I loved the I loved him, but I never, I never, I don't remember. Put it this way: I don't remember equating the dog to be like a person i I just i can't you know it's my brother no i have a i have a human brother the dog was not my brother survey results say a third of parents so another parental thing here say their favorite child is their pet so this is of people who actually have human children and will still pick the pet over the kid i love the way the the uh story starts because it says it may be hard for non-pet owners to understand yeah right here that's me but our cats and dogs cuddle their way into our hearts and quickly become beloved members of the family it's incredibly common for pet owners to fall head over heels for their companions so yes if pet lovers of the world unite 414-799-1620 on the Akinen mortgage talk and text line are you able to draw the distinction between a human and an animal? And I realize pets are big key parts of families and they provide love and affection and all that stuff. But at the end of it all, as cold as this may sound, it's still an animal. It's not a human being. And I've, again, I'm a non-pet owner, so I don't understand. Anyway, these numbers are... <laughs> surprising to me but maybe not a new survey reveals many actually favor their pets over their own children in all 72 percent of respondents were both pet owners and parents so i think that's the key 
I mean, you need to have both to pick one over the other, right? So a fifth of those pet-owning parents even admitted to buying a gift for their furry companion more recently than a gift for their own child. What? The survey put together by a pet food company, not shockingly, also found that 67% of respondents consider their pet their best friend. Another 78% said their dog or cat is just as much a part of their family as any other member. Again, I recognize the role of a pet to provide comfort, compassion, uh, affection, all that. You know, just, yes, I, I get that. I'm not, I'm not dumb to that, to that concept, okay? I understand that. But nevertheless, how can you be a parent and say that your favorite child is your pet? Need some, I need some explaining. 1254, we'll see if you can explain to me when we come back. Scott in for Jeff on WTMJ. All right, we have riled up the pet-loving population that listens to the Jeff Wagner Show every day. Um, Again, the headline that caught my eye, a third of parents say their favorite child is their pet, to which I say, keep in mind pets are animals and, you know, children are human beings. I've never understood the equating a pet with a human being in terms of affection, and I just, I get loving your pet. I did. I had a dog. But I don't, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. That's also the theme of today's show. I don't get it. All right, let's see. Here we go. Bridget in Mequon. Hi, Bridget. You're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you? I have a really bad cold, so I hope you can hear me. Okay, forge through, Bridget. You also have five cats. Maybe you're allergic. Uh, no, I'm not. Okay, just checking. Go ahead, Bridget. Go ahead. So so what are you yeah, thinking? No. Uh, I'm thinking we treat them like little, we treat them like families. Uh, we come home and, you know, it's mommy's home, daddy's home. Uh, daddy will get your food. Everybody's got their own little kitty bed. They got their perches in the window. We make sure they're comfortable. Oh, sure. No, you, you know what? I, I'm with you. You can give them a nice little bed and, and you make that. I get all that. The mm-hmm. the the logistical or the, um, yeah, the, the things that they yeah, need to survive. Really I, I get all that. I don't have a problem with that. But the mommy-daddy thing. Why do you think your cats are, why do you think you're the mom of cats, which are animals? I do everything for them that I would do for a kid, except send them to school and get them a driver's license. You do everything you would do for your cats that you would for your kids? Yeah. Okay. All right. So do you you have kids by chance? No, we don't. You don't. Okay. So what, all right. All right, I appreciate the call. Thanks, I think Bridget. That, I think that made me a good difference, too. I don't have kids, no. but I have a cat. And I will say sometimes mommy's home. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I agree. You I don't know. You, you would. I have one cat, and you would. I love him. He's so sweet. All right, here we go. Okay. All right, Paul Waukesha. Paul in Waukesha, you have pets and you have children. You have animals and humans in your house. Do you treat them the same, Polly? No, I would eat my animals, but I wouldn't eat my kids. Um, That's a pretty good point. Worse came to worse. I just, I mean that facetiously, of course. But I think that's weird. I mean, I have three cats and two dogs. I let the cats out at night. They're all tight cats, and they come in in the morning. If they don't come back, okay, yeah. uh, see ya. And the dogs, I let them out. But mm-hmm. my kids, I feed them, clothe them, pay for their tuition. I'm their father. 
uh, the cats and the dogs, I'm their owner. And that's, I think that's pretty bizarre. And I've dealt with animal activists in my professional career. Sure. Uh, it's you don't mess with them. No, 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 no. I look, and I'm not looking to mess with animal activists. You know, uh, but, I do but, that. but, Paul, I think you bring a good perspective. You've got pets, you've got children, and you clearly draw a line of demarcation at some point when you classify the animals versus the humans that live under your roof. And I think that's a good thing. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. At 109, Scott Warris sitting in for Jeff on vacation, enjoying some downtime. Hopefully, wherever he is, wherever he is enjoying that downtime, he was able to follow the Packers game a little bit. Yeah, we live in an age now where we're all connected by our phones and computers and you probably get the Packer score in any place on the planet, probably, right? One of the things I did uh, that hit me as I was listening to sports with Matt Pauley right there is that last night, <laughs> the Cubs outscored the Bears by seven. Think about that. Think about that. Kyle Schwarber had more RBIs than the Bears had points last night. Fortunately, at the expense of the Brewers, nevertheless, I think they got to win these next three. Can't be splitting series anymore. I mean, they've kind of painted themselves into a corner whereby if you want to if you want to somehow sneak into a wild card you need to need to win series need to sweep series need to get hot am i optimistic uh, no i just um, i hope it i'm hoping but i i don't know the thing about baseball the thing about a baseball season and you can say it for basketball hockey football but really baseball because of how long the season is 162 games, six months. When you get to the point where we are now, the final month of the season, you kind of know what your team is. There's not a lot of mystery. They don't suddenly in the last month turn into a different type of team than they've been for the prior five months, the first 130, 35 games of the year. That's kind of what you are. It's, it's rare that the last month suddenly shows you something that you don't already know. And unfortunately, what we know about this Brewers team this year is they're pretty much a 500 squad. Now, to their credit, they've been able to navigate and be, you know, maybe four or five games over, but that's been it. I think they were ten, their high watermark was 10 games. They were 10 games over, but that was back in May. Their longest winning streak of the year was in either April or May. I think they won seven straight. It was a long time ago. And yet, nevertheless, I think what they've been able to do this year, when we look back on it, I think I think we as fans need to look at it through a different prism. And when you do, I think you realize that maybe we should be more impressed and happy with the season than we might end up being if they don't make the playoffs. I think when it's all said and done, when you think about all the injuries the players that were expected to do things and perform at a certain level and they never met that level like a Travis Shaw, we may actually look back, or I think we should maybe look back and say, you know what, 2019 was actually one of Craig Council's best years as a manager. And I know there are people out there who default to the blame the coach, blame the manager, blame the play calling, you know, that thing, I'm not play calling guy. 
But considering the fact that the Brewers have 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 not, they don't have a single member of their starting rotation from the beginning of the year. You think about all the guys that have been in and out of the lineup, injuries, and like I said, just not performing to the level at which they were expecting. And yet, I mean, it is September 6th, and they're still within striking range, albeit, you know, they need some a little bit of a miracle right now, I think, in some way. I think, it, I think, and this is not a popular opinion, I would imagine, but it may, when it's all said and done, look back and go, 2019, Craig Council, how in the world? Did you and your staff and David Stearns as the VP and GM, how in the world did you manage to keep that team above 500 and keep that team in some semblance of a playoff race as deep into the year as you did? So we shall see. We shall see. If it comes down to the Cubs or the Cardinals, i got to go Cardinals. Uh, my philosophy when it comes to sports and teams from the state of Illinois, I will root for whatever avenue provides the most pain for the fan of that team from Illinois. So if the Brewers cannot find a way to get in, i got to root for the Cardinals, who I do not find to be nearly as annoying as I did during the Tony La Russa-Mike Matheny era. But we digress here, or I digress, I should say, a little baseball talk, but... Nevertheless, it is hard to believe that here we sit in September. Okay. Hmm. Bad news. Bad news. I think a lot of times the media, you know, even what we do here, newscasts, on radio, on television, local, Nash, all that stuff. I think a lot of times we get blamed for bad news. Why do all you talk about is the bad news? Everything that goes on. Why in the world? Why in the world do you do you force this bad news down our throats on radio, on television? What about the good news that's going on out there? I used to work at a radio station back in a prior radio life, as uh, our colleague Homer might say, in a prior radio life. <laughs> I worked at a radio station. It played music, so it wasn't you know all news or all talk necessarily. And all they would do in their newscasts, which were once an hour, they would only report good news. They would only report positive headlines. Now, when you're a music station, you don't necessarily have listeners relying on you for the news and information of the day. And I think a lot of the reason why... Uh, you get news of varying degrees is that a lot of it is important like it or not good or bad it's important and we feel as an organization to bring that to you and then you can do with it what you like but anyway I was at this radio station it was a music station they had news but all they did was all they did was report positive news but again you can do that when you're you know your ratings and whatnot are based on playing tunes but maybe maybe the explanation maybe the explanation as to why there's so much bad news out there is because people find bad news more interesting than good news think about that maybe it's because the negative headlines draw in more of you 
more of all of us as consumers than positive headlines. I want you to think about that. We'll dive into some of the details behind this, and we'll see if you agree. In two minutes, we continue. Scott Warris in for the vacationing Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Negative news. Are we drawn to negative headlines? We may bemoan it in large, but are we drawn to negative headlines more than positive headlines? And maybe that is driving some organizations, cable news networks, things like that, maybe newspapers, to focus on that. What do you think? 414-799-1620, Akin and Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This gets into the human psyche a little bit. Findings survey done. This is a, a, a really an international survey. Over 17 countries spanning every continent, not Antarctica. Sorry, Antarctica, you were not included in this. People pay more attention to negative news than to positive news. So you see a headline like that and you start thinking about your own consumption of news. What do you do? Think about that for a second as I go through some of this. What? How do you consume news? Do you see something negative and turn it off right away? Does it maybe draw you in? Some of those headlines, some of those teases, as we call them in the radio business, they can pull you in and maybe think, well, how do you react to that versus a more positive headline, a positive tease? Hmm. Bias. They call it negative biases. Political scientist at the University of Michigan said he and his colleagues were interested in the psychology of negative biases, the tendency for people to pay more attention to negative information than positive information, and the role that maybe plays in shaping the news. Among academics, one explanation for this bias was that journalists, how about this one, journalists were angry people and skeptics, and they produced a bunch of negative content, and that was bad as in bad for democracy and bad for people reading news, our suspicion was that the way news looked wasn't purely a function of what journalists felt, but more about what audiences responded to. Hmm. There are some evolutionary reasons as to why negativity bias exists, scientists will point out. For one thing, it can be much riskier. Okay, let's think about this. It can be much riskier to ignore negative information. For example, here's, here's a very timely example. They say negative information like a storm is coming. Hurricane Dorian is, is, is approaching the United States. That would be largely negative news, right? Positive or negative, clearly negative. Well, we're drawn to that because of the risk that we as humans feel to not paying attention to that, right? It's riskier. You can ignore that, that, that negative information, but look, it could be quite a risk you run. Then good news, a dog rescued a boy from a tree is the example they use. There's no risk in that. If you don't click on that story, if you don't read that article in the paper, well, then 
What's the risk? Who cares? You move on with your day. Paying attention to negative news, the researchers said, is generally an effective survival strategy. Hmm. While previous studies have examined the negativity bias, they've largely focused on subjects who are white, American, college-aged, young adults. The uh, political scientist uh, says he wanted to see whether the results of those studies could be generalized to the rest of the world. So they recruited over 1,100 people, like I said, in 17 countries in every continent. Sorry, Antarctica, not you. Researchers went out of their way to find a wider range of study participants whenever they could. They recruited from marketplaces all across the world. In Ghana, for example, took their lab gear to a shed in a, to a, shed in a construction compound in India. Hmm. They found that on average, a slight majority of viewers demonstrated a bias toward more negative news. And it held true across countries and across cultures. Scientists also found, however, that on an individual level, there seems to be a high level of kind of variability in responses. Two out of five people showed either no bias toward negative news or a bias toward positive news. That means that the old adage, and maybe you've heard this, if it bleeds, it leads, may no longer always apply. According to one psychologist, one of the things that the study is flagging is that there's a great deal of variability within people. That's true across all cultures. That would be true, right? Suggestion made that maybe news outlets could shift the proportion of bad news to good news and still maintain an audience. Look, if, if you, this is me now talking, not the article, if, if, you, if you work in a, in a ratings-driven performance eyeballs, eardrums, dependent business, you can still maybe keep an audience if you change the proportion of good news and bad news. Finally, it's not the case that most people want mostly negative news all the time. And knowing that, the uh, political professor there says, I think opens up other possibilities where news is concerned. What do you think of that? 414-799-1620. Are you drawn to the negative news? Do do you try to fight against that? Do you make a concerted effort, maybe, to take in news or just in general information in a way that tries to strike an even proportion of positive to negative? And let's be honest. If you find that, oh, all we ever hear on the news at night at 10 o'clock, it's just all negative, 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 and then the weather and sports, and then it's over. Well... You're watching it, though, aren't you? There's a reason for that, and it's often based on for TV ratings. We'll get some of your reaction. I got some really good texts coming in. We got a couple of open phone lines as well. 414-799-1620. That, the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. To the text line, Chris and Campbellsport. Admits, we're absolutely drawn to negative news and headlines. Says, I noticed this when I was in middle school, when I watched reactions from teachers and parents when they heard negative news compared to positive news. I noticed this in my own age group as well. He's in his late 20s right now. People are more drawn to drama and negativity. Hmm. From the um, from the 262, um, 
Yeah, the 262 uh, texts in, I usually record over the first 10 minutes of the local news and wait for national news, weather, sports. I don't want to hear about the shootings in Milwaukee, for example. Another 262 texter, um, I grew up in Milwaukee in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Northwest side, very nice. Everybody took pride on their properties. Crime wasn't very high, relatively speaking. Again, talking about some of the news and the negative. But, you know, what What I found was interesting here, and you just, just think about this as you go about your day and, and the rest of this day and into the weekend. When you consume whatever your nightly news selection is or when you're opening the newspaper or online checking out different you know, websites that you go to for the news of the day and just general information. Would you classify a particular story as positive or negative? If you had to put it in one in one bucket, would it be the positive bucket or the negative bucket? And maybe, maybe, uh, will this happen? I don't think so. But maybe if enough people, you know, kind of cited more or looked for the positivity, got away from the negative, maybe you could sway although I don't think it would happen, but you can think you're making a difference, right? Uh, you know, the, the one thing, though, what was the point that I... The, the, the one element of this study that was of interest was it may be just simply an innate instinct by us as human beings that the risk to ignoring negative news. You can ignore news about you know crime, for example, but... If you live in Milwaukee, certainly if you live in a neighborhood near where a crime was committed, then you have to think, well, do you run the risk in some way, shape, or form of not paying attention to something that you should for your own welfare just for the principle of I'm not going to follow negative information, negative news? And so you do because you weigh the risk to the reward and you say, look, I may not want to hear about that shooting or that carjacking or whatever the case may be, that crime in general, but I got to click on it because that, 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 I got to go through there on the way to work. So, hmm, interesting though, I thought. 131, an hour from now, we're going to talk about back to school because it is kind of back to school time now. Everybody's pretty much back to school now, right? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Public schools are back at it. Yeah, they're back at it. Colleges, universities at least have started. There may be a few out there that maybe, well, I don't know. I think after after Labor Labor Day, Day. yeah, that's true. I know right before Labor Day, some people went to school a couple days before and then started again on Tuesday. But yeah, for the most part, everybody in school. So after, in the two o'clock hour, about an hour from now, we're going to have a little uh, Friday fun. We'll we'll let Jeff do Pop Culture Corner. We'll do, we'll just call it generically, generically only. Friday fun, some back to school memories. That's a uh, creative Friday fun. Well, I'm I'm all about the alliteration. <laughs> How did you think of that? I'm as alliterative as the next guy. <laughs> you think about the they, they released earlier today the employment numbers, national jobs numbers for the month of August, and if you see some headlines, they say there is a record. 157 mil plus million people employed in August. Others say the actual additions to the jobs in August were less than expected. So is that positive or negative? And I get people will say, well, there's a bias, a, a, you know, a political bias involved in there. But I think it's interesting to go through the day. I might do this. Just go through your day. And as you consume information, like I said before in news, 
Would you put it in a positive bucket or a negative bucket? And then kind of reflect and realize, well, how much positive stuff and negative stuff are you and all of us as consumers of society taking in? Well, I think something that I notice, especially on the morning shows that are national, Good Morning America, Today Show, I have to switch around a little bit sometimes because I feel like some, they sensationalize every story there is. And it could, again, go down to ratings and how they deliver, how they deliver the news. But the way the BBC delivers the news and how um, you know news organizations in America deliver news are two completely mm-hmm. different ways. And I think um, just kind of the approach, sometimes it's so in your face um, that sometimes like, ah, I don't need to be traumatized again. You know, I think seeing a graphic scene or something traumatic is seeing it once, not on a loop. I notice certain sure. stations do that, but that's... Well, well, okay. Well, if you don't mind, yeah. let, let me ask you this as somebody who obviously works here in, in news at WTMJ and has worked in the news field for many years mm-hmm. at other stations mm-hmm. before you came here when it comes to, and, and I, 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 I kind of I, I speak about the news, but I've, I've never claimed to be you know a, a a news reporter in that respect. I've never worked in a newsroom. Um, when it comes to the processing of of stories in general, mm-hmm. I mean, how how do you as a news anchor walk the line of look? That's a warranted news story, good or bad. It has to be told versus we've been on that story or we need to get off that story or man, this is just a, a, a very heavily negative information, if you will, newscast. Well, I, I think, how, how do news people go through that decision-making process? Sure. So I think when you go to, quote-unquote, stack a newscast, that's what we call it. Sure. You line up the newscast, you mm-hmm. kind of put stories together that go together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Dorian, obviously, Hurricane Dorian, that is a legitimate story. People are being injured, hurt. It's Mother Nature. Um, you know, that's a story definitely you're probably going to lead with, right? There is no really big question whether or not you should lead with that because, you know, it's impacting the United States. It's impacting other countries. But it, I think... When it, it comes, is a negative story. It, it, I mean, if you like is. to say, is it negative or positive? Well, it's clearly I mean, a negative story, but not a feel good story. No, but but I mean, if, if look, if it's one yeah, or the I other, mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's a negative story, but it's one that is so important. There's critical information there right. that you need to know, and and consumers as and that was the example that I used mm-hmm. when I went through that study. Consumers need to say, "All right, I'm not going to listen to this negative story, but what is the risk to me not listening?" And in the case of Dorian, you could run the risk of not getting some valuable information, despite the fact it's a negative story. Well, and I think also the way you pick your angle for a particular story, you can be you can have straight news, you can have straight facts, you can have, you know, straight information. But then you maybe you want a particular angle that is one way or the other. Does that make it more interesting? I don't know. Depends on the consumer. Depends on the listener and the viewer. What do you mean by angle? Well, the angle, I mean, do you want to do something? You could do a positive Dorian story. You could do someone that's, uh, you know, delivering supplies and helping people out that are flooded in their neighborhood. Some people will hear angle and they will think bias. Right, exactly. But that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. So with Dorian, you could have multiple angles, businesses, how they're affected. That's really, it can be positive or negative. Mm -hmm. Um, Is a business owner helping out their community? That's a positive angle. So I think the way you approach a new story can make 
make all the difference. And I think you'll see people, um, you know, kind of you want to do more positive stories. But I think I mean, maybe it goes back to the ratings. Do people want to hear the bad stuff? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 the cycle. Well, it's the cycle that and, we, that we and, live in. And like that story was interesting. It's not just unique maybe to the United States. It's that across mm-hmm. across the planet, because th- th- that survey spoke and 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 you know, gathered information from people from all across the world. And the negative mm-hmm. preference, even if it's if it's subconsciously the negative preference for information won out over the positive, although there, there, there's you know certain inroads being made in that respect. But well, I, I appreciate you sharing well, the, you. Yes. the news pers- the newsier perspective than I can bring to the table. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One forty-two. Happy to have you along for the ride. I am Scott Warris, hosting for Jeff Wagner is off today. We'll be with you again a little bit next week as well. There are many times. Well, let me let me start that over. There are rare weeks that go by where, at some point in time, I do not hear of something, some instance, or just kind of take stock of my every you know. Workaday world as I go about doing my thing, where I don't realize or recall or or remember that in many ways, my fellow Americans, in many ways, our livelihood, our welfare, I'm talking like bodily welfare, comes down to people simply doing their jobs. Now, it's obvious You need police officers to do their job. You need them to protect us, right? Firefighters need to do their job in order to protect people if, you know, they find themselves in in trouble with a fire. There are emergency response. Those are obvious ones. I think those are the ones everybody would come in mind. If I said, name a profession in which your life depends on them doing their job and, oh, by the way, doing it well. But there are a lot more everyday examples of that than I think we realize. And the example that always comes to my mind first and foremost, and the example that I often use to make this point, as I will right now, are the TSA workers. Think about how often... You go through an airport, right now as we speak, there are millions, did I say millions? Yeah, there's going to be, like, there's millions of people traveling through the airports of the world right now, but certainly here in America, right? And there are occasions where there are people out to do harm, out to do evil, on an airline, on an airplane. And the only thing, or in large part, the only thing standing behind them committing their evil and us never knowing about it, getting on our flight, traveling to our destination, getting on with our life, is the work of the TSA work, is the work of the TSA employees. An example of our lives being dependent on an average American going to work, working the x-ray machine, let's say, at the TSA, and making sure they find that device 
that weapon that was trying to that that was intentionally being smuggled on board for who knows what reason. Our welfare is up to I'll just pull out a name out of th- George from Cudahy, who works at TSA at Mitchell, okay, doing his job. If George is having a bad day, if George from Cudahy has a bad day, works for the TSA, doesn't feel like giving his all, doesn't, you know, just kind of uh, going through the motions on a Friday afternoon in September, and God forbid something gets through the TSA screening process, gets through onto a plane, and who knows what happens after that. Again, the, the that, that's the prime example I use for everyday people doing their jobs to keep us safe. I thought of that, staying with the airline theme, I thought of that when I came across this story of a Miami airline mechanic. Again, an everyday person who needs to do their job, do it well, because if they don't, something very bad could happen with an airplane, right? To put it really simply. Well, there's one, as I say, one airline mechanic in Miami who was looking to get overtime pay. You'll never guess what he did in an attempt to simply get overtime pay. He definitely did not set out to do his job and do it well. I'll share those details when we come back in two minutes on WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'll share this story uh, real quickly, though, just to the commentary, if you will, that I just made. Uh, a couple of texters. Tom in West Bend says, utility workers, very vital. Yes, again, that's a great example of somebody who just punches in, punches out, goes to work, does their job. And we, as citizens, we, we better hope that utility workers, electricity, communications, things like that, we better hope that they're doing their jobs well or we could be severely hurt by them. Uh, Mitch, you're right. What about the air traffic controllers? Yes. A lot of air a lot of jobs air travelers take for granted are things that could be disastrous if ineptly done. Succinctly said nicely, Mitch. Mitchell. Okay, here here's the story out of Miami. And this is what got me thinking about this again. An aircraft maintenance worker at Miami's airport allegedly he wanted overtime pay. So let's see. All right, I want to work more. I need I need extra money. Maybe he had a I don't know why. You do this on holidays. Holidays, use a lot of money, shopping. Aircraft maintenance worker in Miami allegedly tampered with a critical piece of a passenger plane's hardware in order to get overtime pay amid a stalled union contract dispute, according to court documents. So that was his reason for it. It was an American Airlines plane. There are about 150 people on board. It never left for the scheduled flight in uh, July from Miami to Nassau in the Bahamas because a flight crew noticed an error related to the air data or data module and called it off. Uh, This guy worked in aircraft, I can't pronounce his name, so it doesn't matter. He worked in aircraft maintenance at American Airlines hangar in Miami International Airport. He's charged with willfully damaging, destroying, disabling, or wrecking an aircraft and attempting to do so. He was interviewed by law enforcement this week and said, He never intended to cause harm to the aircraft or the passengers. It's just that he had been hurting financially because of this contract dispute had stalled between the union and the airline. He used 
super glue to attach a piece of foam into an inlet on the air data module, which reports information like an aircraft's speed, pitch, and other data, which is important. He claimed that he tampered with the target aircraft in order to cause a delay or have the flight canceled in anticipation of obtaining overtime work. Wow. American Airlines said the flight returned to the gate for maintenance. Again, it never took off. All the passengers put on another plane. Uh, They went on with their trip. Again, another example of, and God forbid this thing would have taken off or anything like that, but another example of, as Mitch, and I'm going to quote you, Mitch, on the text line, you did a great job of of, uh, summing it up better than I did, of in this case, air travelers, or, or just us, citizens, going about our everyday lives and avoiding disastrous situations simply because somebody showed up for work and did their job and did it well and were not disgruntled as to the point of wanting overtime. And, oh, by the way, I work in an airport, so how can I spend more time uh, at my job working in airline maintenance? How can I get more overtime? Well, maybe I'll mess with one of the planes. Yeah, not smart. I hope they go hard after this guy. But again, you go about your own life. Think about that. The little things, the little things that happen that allow you to do what you do, live your life. And so I think there's so many people around us right now, I bet, right now, maybe in your car driving or whatever it is you're doing, you can, if you pause and think, you can, you can come up with a person or two, or if you look around at your surroundings right now, you can probably see somebody doing a job whereby if they did not do it well, ineptly, if they did not do it well, what could that mean for you? Don't forget, Friday fun coming up at 2.30. Um, also, before 2.30, we'll do Great Scott in the 2.20 uh, window today. I've got a treat, something that I found today in light of what happened last night at uh, Soldier Field. I enjoy it very much. I'm going to give it to, to all of us, all of us who are Packers fans. We're going to revel in the pain of what happened south of the border uh, yesterday. You know what we call that? A little schadenfreude. It's a schadenfreude Friday. That's it. How did I not think of this before? Anyway, it'll be a schadenfreude Friday, so I'm going to mix that into Great Scott, and then we'll have some Friday fun after 2.30. I want you to start thinking, because everybody's now back to school. So most of us, most of us, yeah, me, I went back to school. Most people over the last three weeks, let's say, high school, college, junior high, grade school, at some point in time, you sent Billy, Susie, Tommy off to school. Whatever. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Is on vacation, and so I am Scott Warris sitting in for Jeff. It is a Friday, 2 o'clock hour. For many of you, perhaps the end of the work week is in sight. For some of you, the work week is just getting going. And for others, you have to work Saturday and Sunday. So you're saying, don't tell us about people who get the next couple days off because it doesn't apply to us whatsoever. That said, whenever your weekend comes, enjoy it. Uh, Kyle producing the program, as always. 
and uh, 414-799-1620 is how you get involved on the Acumen Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I wasn't planning to do this here, but let's do this here because it was a you got a little bit of a debate here at Radio City. One of the things I like is the way that our office area is constructed. You get to interact with you know all all of uh, you know our our colleagues and our teammates and and other hosts and producers and things like that through the course of the day. And you you spitball ideas and you throw ideas, bounce ideas off of one another. And the other day, uh, me and a couple other people, I won't mention them because well, it doesn't matter, but I won't mention them. Anyway, we got into a, a discussion, not heated, but a, what we say, lively discussion about the presidential race and the way that the Democratic primary is playing out. By the way, programming note, next Thursday, the 12th is the next Democrats debate. I believe we're, car- we're going to be carrying that here on WTMJ. I believe that is the case. Um, we'll have more details as we get closer. Anyway, uh, just going to be 10. No more two nights, 20 people. We will, uh, or th- there will just be the one. And it's the first time that you're going to have Biden and Bernie and Warren all together on the same stage on the same night. In fact, it's the first time there's going to be Biden and Warren on stage, period. But anyway. We were just, you know, we're talking about as this, this, this thing plays out. Is is Joe Biden still the biggest threat to the president? It was still very early. I get all that. So let me just take. I just want to take for a couple seconds here. Just just take the temperature. How do you, how do you feel right now? As we sit, albeit you know, fourteen months before election day. I get it. I get it. But nevertheless. I love politics, following it. If you love sports and politics, there are so many similarities in a lot of ways. You can kind of sit back and watch it all play out. So I'll be watching the debates, and I have. And I, I personally, I still think for all his, you know, fumbles and gaffes and things like that, that some might say are bogging down the Biden campaign. And the numbers, there are some poll numbers that say. He is on the decline, and Warren is gaining ground. Sanders, maybe in some polls, is holding even or gaining ground on Biden. But anyway, Biden, still the front runner in a lot of polls, a lot of ways, but maybe not with the stronghold that he once had. So let's do this. Um, for If you never called, this is a perfect time to kind of just weigh in and voice your opinion. 414-799-1620, Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Whom of all the Democrats still in the race right now, as we now have had a few debates under our belts to watch and to consume, is Biden still the biggest threat to the president? I mean, if if you if, 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 if the Democrats are going to try to knock off an incumbent, I still think it's Biden. I, I still think it is. Or do you think that maybe Sanders or Warren have enough momentum behind them to continue that will carry them through the nomination? Okay, I'm not not saying who it is you're going to vote for or who you want to see. Nothing like that. Just kind of put on your put on your prognosticator's hat for a couple of seconds 
We'll do this every once in a while just to kind of take the temperature of the room a little bit and, and, and sense how things are playing out. Because as this ramps up, I think there's a, a sense or a thought out there that uh, Biden is just, he's just, now granted in Wisconsin, the Marquette poll the other day as Jeff broke down, Biden beats Trump here in Wisconsin right now, and and uh, Warren and 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 Sanders also with, with uh, you know a, somewhat of an advantage if you buy the numbers. But anyway, right now September sixth, two thousand nineteen. Uh, there's no wrong answer. Just asking, who is the who has the strongest chance, or as a Republican, as a conservative, if you are pro-Trump, who do you fear? Uh, strong word, maybe not. Who do you fear the most from the Democrats? Is it still Biden, or do you think he's weak now? Okay? No wrong answer. 414-799-1620. Acumen Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I realize it's a Friday. This isn't really heavy political lifting, but I thought we had the discussion uh, the other day off the air, me and some of my colleagues, so I thought, you know what? Let's just do this right now, and we will commence in two minutes. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Start thinking now, because after the 2.30 newscast, our Friday fun segment will be a school theme. What was your, what did you like least about the first day of school? Okay. I think we can all think of something maybe we enjoyed, but it's more fun to think about the stuff we didn't like, especially now that we're older. You can look back and laugh at it, hopefully. Maybe not. You know what else I've learned? Uh, don't do political questions 2 o'clock on Friday. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I was going out on a limb. Nobody wants to talk about it. I'll, I'll read the one text. We, we got one text. No calls. We had one call. They hung up. They couldn't wait two minutes. Um, Casey in Watertown, I think you make a pretty good point, Casey, saying, I think, talking about the president, his biggest threat next year is if Bernie Sanders drops out and does not stay a three-way. I, I assume... Um, Casey referencing uh, Warren Sanders and and Biden. I believe it is it, it, if it is two people, uh, Trump could lose. Bernie Sanders is on record as saying he's going to look. He's going to this thing to the bitter end, especially after what he went through last year. You know, he he wrote that thing out till the bitter end, until he was forced out basically. And yeah, you know, there's a really good chance. Kind of a brokered convention here in Milwaukee. Um, another from the 262 says Biden. Biden is the biggest threat. I still think that, and I realize that. I, I think, as another uh, texter says, all the real Democrats love Biden. That's all they love. Um, he's a real threat. I, I think that's the case, and I realize he's middle of the road. It, it's Biden is not new. Biden is not the way of the of the Democratic Party right now that is, is clearly maybe steering more left than they ever have before. I get that. I get that Warren and Sanders are kind of commandeering that wing, and right now that wing is the louder wing of the party. But in the end, Democrats are going to look at their options and say, who can, who, who can beat the president? And I think from the Republican side of the ledger, I still look at Biden Name recognition, I think statistically, in terms of support with minority voters, uh, he's still very strong in a lot of those key primary states. 
And we'll see how this plays out, obviously, but next Thursday will be fun. I'm looking forward to the debate, the debate next Thursday very, very much. Hoping for fireworks. You always have to look at the people who are doing poorly in the polls for the fireworks, right? Is de Blasio in this one? Did de Blasio qualify for this debate? I should look this up here. Do you know this, Kyle, off the top of your head? Why am I asking about de Blasio? Because de Blasio is willing to, he's willing to throw verbal hand grenades just to kind of I don't think he's there yet. He's not? Well, he, if he's not there now, he won't be. Because they've already drawn the line. I don't believe so. I know they had a town hall. Didn't see them have a yeah. town hall for him. Oh, yeah. I think that was the kind of last ditch effort for him to get in. Was that the one the other night? I think it was about a week ago. Oh yeah. Now yeah. I, uh. See, I'm trying to think who 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 could be throwing verbal hand grenades next week. Cory Booker. I mean Kamala Harris certainly. Kamala. Who, remember after Kamala Harris had that great first debate moment with Biden, she kind of leveled off in the, the next round of debates. She wasn't. She didn't quite have that same uh, wind at her back afterward. Isn't it amazing? I mean, does any of it matter? Could you, you might not win, a de- you might not win, but you could lose. You, you could lose your momentum now. You may not win the nomination, but you could lose it this early in these debates. Is that fair to say? Well, sure. But I mean, I, and, and to sort of give a, a kind of a spin to what you were just talking about, throwing, throwing grenades or, or whatever. Hand grenades. I'm, so, I'm sorry, not hand grenades. Verbal grenades, sure, you like to call Right. Uh, verbal Molotov cocktails. To take the opposite of that, because the two people, uh, the two candidates that are sort of, I, would, I wouldn't say neck and neck, but are challenging Biden would be Bernie Sanders and, and Elizabeth Warren, right? Yeah. They... Practically, those two refuse to attack each other. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That dynamic, it's its very uh, lovey-dovey, you know? That, I, I think it's obviously it's mutual respect, but I think it's them focusing more on not attacking each other and focusing on solutions, which is kind of nice, but, but we always want those, you know, kind of... It does beg the question, look, at some point along the way, if you're going to have to have one person... It's like the Hunger Games. You know, at some point, even even your comrade, your partner in crime, you're going to have to turn and eat your own, right? And that was largely the criticism for Bernie Sanders, would it be four, four years ago? Because he didn't really start attacking Hillary until it really became clear that he had to start doing it. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I think the DNC had already you <laughs> well, know, favored. Yeah. Donna Brazil and uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz had already determined it. But, well, keep in mind, here's a little fun fact, and a lot of people know this, but maybe some don't. The superdelegate thing is gone. The Democratic Party uh, changed uh, how all that works. So the the the, the concept and, and the way the superdelegates were used four years ago and before that, that basically gave Hillary Clinton the nomination uh, and, and just stacked the, the, the deck against Sanders. That's not the case now. But... Yeah, you know, that is something to watch, the Warren-Sanders dynamic and who turns on who first, right? And how will that be received? Because you're right, they have kind of had a a handshake agreement to play nice as long as Joe Biden is riding in the front. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, 414 mentions Mayor Pete. Uh, yes, but Mayor Pete has been courting large dollar donors and super del. Well, but again, the super delegate system is not set up the way it used to. He's the one to watch. I don't know. I, I just I don't I don't look at at Pete Buttigieg and say that that's a president. 
I don't see many fiery statements coming from him either. I think Beto would would bring some fiery statements. He's been on on the record. He hasn't been afraid to mm. say things that we can't even say on on no, television or radio. No, he's dropping f bombs. Remember we talked about that? Was that this show or another show? I, I talked about the fact there's more cursing and swearing. Oh, yeah. We Statistically, there is more cursing and swearing in politics now. I think a lot of that is part of the show. Oh, yeah, I'm going to drop an F-bomb. Um, I'm mad. I'm one of the people. Things like that. Um, yeah, I just I don't, I don't look at Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Again, you're going for the mayor of South, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, the president of the United States. Oh, anyway. Okay, we'll see. Um tell you what don't forget back to school memories coming up after 2 30 but coming up next what i have is great Scott. some information on the loch ness monster passengers speaking of an airplane passengers were in for a long flight delay and then one of them stepped up and helped out big time but i'll have those more than that even better than that I have an audio gift that you must hear. You must hear, courtesy of our friends, some Bears fans to the South. That's next. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 227, 227, Scott Morris in for Jeff Wagner. It is time for a Friday edition of Great Scott. Loch Ness Monster, one of the most iconic, perhaps, tall tales of all time, and for others, one of the most mysterious creatures on the planet. Does it exist? It's been debated forever, it seems. Probably not. But if it does, might it just have been a giant eel? A group of international scientists at the University of Otago in New Zealand analyzed DNA samples from the murky waters of the Scottish Lake and identified about 3,000 different species. According to the Guardian, most species are so small they can barely be seen. The data suggests some of the outlandish theories about Nessie, oh, sweet Nessie, can be ruled out. Some have theorized Nessie might be a Jurassic-era reptile. Some, a giant fish. Well... This team found no evidence of a creature living in the loch that is remotely related to the dinosaurs, giant catfish, sturgeon, or even sharks. What did they find, however? They found a large amount of eel DNA, along with other common creatures, including humans, dogs, sheep, cattle, and deer. Now, although this data cannot determine the size of the eels living in Loch Ness, it is worth noting the largest known European eel was four feet long and almost 12 pounds. As the... The leader of the scientists said it doesn't sound like a monster, does it? But based on the evidence we've accumulated, we cannot exclude it as a possibility. So, Loch Ness may just have actually been a giant eel. File that one away. How about this one? Okay. It's news that every traveler hates to hear. Your flight will be delayed. But, but, for an easy... Jet plane full of people heading from Manchester, England to Spain on Monday. That announcement was followed by something unexpected. To get everyone off the ground, a, how'd you like to hear this? Uh, 
Uh, fortunately, folks, uh, we will be able to go to Spain because uh, one of your fellow passengers has raised their hand and will fly the plane. Yes, indeed. A fellow passenger said, yeah, I got this. I got this. Michelle Potts, who said she was on the flight, wrote this on Facebook. She arrived at the airport to discover the delay. They had to rush to the gate. They saw the info had changed. The flight was going to take off. Wait a minute. Get to boarding and ask the guy at the desk, what's going on? You said it was delayed. He said, oh, your, pi- your pilot's gone missing. But a guy that's going on your flight is going to fly the plane. Real casually, like, yeah, this guy over here, he's got it. Now, this guy was Michael Bradley, an easy jet pilot heading out for his own vacation. Bradley said, if you need a favor, I'm standing here ready to go. I'm going to get to vacation as much as the next person. The flight would have been delayed two hours because of the amount of time it would take for a captain to get called up. But there you have it. So congratulations to Michael Bradley. Yes, he was just indeed another passenger, but he was a pilot, albeit headed to vacation, and he stepped up. And last but not least, on this Friday, one of the great pastimes is after a Packers-Bears game, and usually, quite frankly, just after a Packers victory over the Bears, one of my favorite things to do is to spend a little time sampling some of the radio reaction from Chicago Sports Talk Radio. And for those of you who do this and for those of you who don't, there's a man named Ed Obradovich, played in the glory years of the Chicago Bears. I'm talking, you know, way back, not 85. But anyway, Ed Obradovich. On WGN Radio last night, I'll let this play for itself. This was Ed Obradovich reacting to the Bears' loss last night. It is my gift to all of you on this Friday. There's so many ways to go negative here, which I never thought was going to happen. I truly thought the 100th season, the Chicago Bears, this town, backs this team, come hell or high water, and what happened last season, the last game of the year? Here we go. At home. It's getting mad. Against the Philadelphia Eagles in our first playoff game in eight or ten years. Mm-hmm. And we go first quarter, no touchdowns. Second quarter, no touchdowns. Third quarter, no touchdowns. With about two minutes to go in the fourth quarter, we finally score a touchdown. We open up at home. Here we go. Again. The hundredth season. The hundredth. <laughs> in the National Football League. George Hallis, the founding father of the National Football League. You got this city waiting for him. Everybody thought that the Packers, and of all people, the Packers are coming here, and we're going to tear them apart. At least that's what I thought. And to go again, first quarter, no touchdowns. Second quarter, no touchdowns. Third quarter, no touchdowns. Fourth quarter, no touchdowns. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that's, that's my new ringtone. That is Ed Obradovich, courtesy of WGN Radio in Chicago. Ah, oh, that's sweet stuff. You see, you enjoy the victory, and then you, you enjoy it all over again when you enjoy the, um, well, the frustration. And that is why we call this our first ever Schadenfreude Friday. That is also a Friday edition of... Great Scott! Coming up after the news, a little Friday fun. Not Pop Culture Corner. We'll leave that to Jeff. Friday Fun, 414-799-1620. What was your worst, your worst back-to-school memory? I know you've got one. We can give you a fake name if you don't want to say your name with your story. Your worst 
back to school memory. 414 799 1620. 414 799 1620. Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a great text. When Jeff's gone, this is why I don't listen. Stop with the fun topics. <laughs> hey, happy Friday to you, buddy. <laughs> Gosh. Uh, it's just radio, folks. It's supposed to be fun. It's part of the deal. Okay. All right. Um, in lieu of uh, Pop Culture Corner, which Jeff normally does at this time every Friday, I'm just generically calling it Friday Fun because I like alliteration. And today, I'm asking you to complete the sentence... The worst part of the first day of school was blank. Mike, Chicago. Good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. How's everybody doing? Everybody's still uh, a little hungover from the game last night? We're getting there, Mike. We're doing okay. We got the caffeine rolling, the caffeine pumping through the veins. So uh, take us back to the a particular first day of school that was rough for you, bud. Hey, listen, maybe this will help everybody get their, the Chicagoans uh, get their cure. Hmm. Um from last night. So uh, it was freshman year, and uh, I went to an all-boys school, and it was orientation day. So I didn't want to use the public restrooms. I really had to, you know, use the bathroom, number two. And I was really uh, I was really worried because I, I, I didn't want – it was embarrassing for me to be using the public restrooms, and I didn't want anybody making fun of me. Well, I wasn't sure if it was okay to, you know, fart in class or anything like that. <laughs> Later I learned that it was. Wait, but, okay, all right. Okay, keep yeah, going. Later I learned that it was okay to fart in class. So uh, I have football practice afterwards, and the coach tells us we're doing a mile run. Now, this evolved from a fart to needing to take a crap. All right, so, c- c- careful now. We'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll just say number two. How about that? Number two. Okay. So <laughs> so uh, we, I start my mile run, and on the first three steps, it just feels like my stomach absolutely Ooh. tears. Yeah, so I ended up uh, oh, no. taking a number two oh. on myself. Oh no! Was, that was on date. That was your first day of school. First day of school. Yep. Oh. And I just run over to the coach. And oh. I tell him, yeah. "Hey, can I go to the bathroom?" It's a little late for that, but I go to the bathroom and I flushed my underwear down the toilet, oh. and, that, and my and my brother and actually ended up bringing bring me a spare underwear. So it's a good brother. Hey. Hey, big brother was there for you. Wow. Yeah, that would uh, that would be a tough, bad first day of school to top. Okay, Mike. There you go. All right, everybody. Beat Mike. <laughs> Paul, go ahead, buddy. What, what What's your worst first day of school memory? <laughs> I don't know that I can beat Mike because, I mean, that, that really is bad. But uh, my first day of school ever, of the first day of my uh, school life, uh, as afternoon kindergarten, my mother took me to Jefferson Elementary in Wauwatosa and dropped me off and told me, this is the room, go in there. And I went in and the teacher said, everybody sit down and uh, we'll get your names and everything. And she had little name tags for everybody as they were sitting around. And she called out the names and she put a name tag on you as you did. Well, she never called my name and nobody ever recognized that uh, I was, you know, never called. So I didn't know what to do. I just sat there, and the class went on. She started to explain what school was like and everything like that. Well, it took about an hour before I just, I was like, I, I, was, I wasn't I was going to be in school. I, I was in the wrong place. My mom dropped me at the wrong school. So I just started bawling in front of everybody. 
And so not only were you in the wrong class, you were not even at the right school. No, no, no. It turned out I was at the right school because they had another afternoon kindergarten class because there were so many kids in that year. And so I was just traumatized, and I think that's really what's wrong with me in life now. So Blaming mom for it. Okay, Paul, blaming mom. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for that. Hey, at they, least I didn't uh, number two. No, myself. that's true. Although, being in kindergarten, I think it would be more understandable than if you were in high school. But ne- right. nevertheless, thanks for the call, Paul. 414-799-1620. Tony and Scott, you're on deck as uh, we reminisce a little bit about our first days of school, junior high, kindergarten, high school, college, whatever. What was your worst first day of school moment? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Scott Warris sitting in for Jeff Wagner. Um, back to the text line, in this case, the 920. We are talking about your worst first day of school memory that time of year again. 920. I got all ready for second grade, waiting for the bus, and then zoom, it passed right by. Had to be taken to school and was late. Oof, that's rough. Uh, let's see. Uh, from the 262, Spencer in Racine. I went back to school as an adult. So my first day at college, I was 24 years old. This is a college story here. I walked into a class full of other freshmen late. So that would have been 18. Apparently, the professor had not yet arrived. Everyone asked me if I was the instructor. I felt like the quintessential old guy about the rest of the entire school year. That's... But if you're 24, I mean, even if you're the old guy, that's not a bad old guy age to be, 24. Okay, back to the phones here. And Tony on the southwest side. And, Tony, you've got one that always, always was in the back of my mind. Yes, I'm dating myself a bit back to uh, pay coin phones. But to the point, forgetting your high school locker code mm. or any school locker code, so the double left. Twenty-seven, yes. and then you had to spin it around once to fourteen, and then one back to the five or whatever. Good lord! Yeah, I, knew I was going to forget it. And well, then, and it, it was stressful. It, it was. I mean, now in hindsight, you're like, well, I mean, come on. In, in the grand scheme of things, how much stress should be devoted to something like that? But look, <laughs> if you're in eighth grade, like for me, I was in eighth grade. I, I was in the same building from kindergarten through eighth grade. So going to high school was the first. Big school, lockers, passing time. We only had four minutes to pass between classes. So if you want to make a pit stop at your locker, you better be able to open that locker on your first try because you don't have that much time to waste. Yeah, yeah, it was 27, two spins left, one spin right. I don't know what they do now. but Do you remember your locker combination to this day, Tony? I do. What was it? Uh, 27 left, uh, 13 right, and then once back to seven. 27 13 7 i probably should do the lottery for that <laughs> you should that would be a great story <laughs> tony won the lottery playing his old high school locker combination numbers <laughs> thanks tony i appreciate it man have a good weekend let's quickly get to some of these here scotty in appleton hi scott you're up next what's your story well i know i i don't think i can top the first one <laughs> that's for sure Fair but enough. uh back in 79 my folks moved up to a back area and about two days before school started, we're out in the country and the well goes out. So a new kid in a right school, uh, <laughs> no 
I couldn't take a shower. Oh, so you kind of had an odor about you. Oh, yeah, a lot of perfume or uh, my dad's yeah. uh, <laughs> aftershave stuff, but... <laughs> Uh, it was not a good way to start out. This kid's shaving already. Do you smell him? Yeah. He's shaving already. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate the call. Uh, got time for a couple more here. Ken in Pewaukee. What do you have for me, Ken? Well, first day, eighth grade, I go to open my lunch, and instead of having food and everything else in there, there's a can of Slits beer. <laughs> in eighth grade? Yes. Now, how did that happen? That wasn't intentional, obviously. Or was it a joke? Somebody played a joke on you? Was, I don't know for sure. Nobody ad- admitted to it, but uh, I almost got suspended. <laughs> oh, jeez. So, I, see, did you have an older brother or sister? Somebody playing a prank on you? I got two brothers and two sisters, yes. So, okay. So. That makes more sense than, you know, mom thinking, oh, Kenny's growing up. Ah, oh, what the heck? It's his first day. Hey, Ken, did that take the edge off the first day? No, but it was almost, I wanted to do what the first guy did that you called today with the number two when mm. I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could kind of see it, but you almost got suspended for it, too. How did you get out of the suspension? What, what was your excuse? I don't know how it got there. Well, and you didn't, though. You're telling the truth. Yep, I don't know how it got there. <laughs> All right, Ken, I appreciate it. Um, okay, this is something that um, some young ladies may have to uh, experience and go through in these very awkward situations. Anna in Waukesha. Hi, Anna. Hi. Okay, you've got something that um, you're probably not alone in this. Go ahead and, and, and uh, go ahead. Go ahead and uh, tread lightly. <laughs> okay. First day of school, um, freshman year, so I'm in a brand new school. Mm-hmm. Um, None of my girlfriends are in any of the classes that I'm in. Okay. And it's before Labor Day, so I'm wearing white pants. Thank you very much. Oh. Uh-huh. And it was my first oh. period. And it was my first period, so I wasn't prepared. I had a stomachache like three days before. My mom was like, you're nervous. You're going to high school. You'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> not, not so much. It was horrible. Oh, it was, Anna. I wouldn't go back. I didn't want to go back to school. I wore black pants every day for three months. I would not wear anything light. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Okay. And I, I appreciate you calling and sharing that, Anna. I do. <laughs> You're over it now, I hope, all these years later. Yes, I am. But okay. my, uh, my oh. daughter does not oh. go to school unprepared. <laughs> oh, yeah? Fair enough. I'm losing you there a little bit. Thanks for, the, thanks for sharing. Isn't it amazing how people are willing to share? These very intimate details of, uh, real quickly here, George texting in, I live by railroad tracks, waiting for the bus. My first day, my dog named Skippy got ran over by a train. Oh. Uh, Peggy Waukesha, first day of high school, Spanish teacher was having everyone individually roll their R. I could not do it. He made fun of me and had the whole class laughing. Every day of class, he repeated the humiliation. I was in the class all four years of high school. I still can't roll my R's. Well, Peggy, it begs the question, why in the world did you continue taking Spanish for four years if they continued to? But anyway, I appreciate everybody for sharing some of those stories a little bit more psychologically damaging than others. But isn't it amazing whether it was grade school, junior high, high school, college, those first days, that first day of school, the memories come rushing back, good and uh, bad.